0: Good morning, everyone. I'm sorry. Good morning, everyone. Oh, it makes me feel so good. Lord, as we study your word today, we want to get ready for everything you have for us. Lord, speak to us. Change us today. May the word pierce our hearts, cause your goodness in Jesus' name. Everyone said Amen. Today we're talking about preparation for the Messiah. And uh, our passage is Galatians 4. If you want to go ahead and turn there, Galatians 4. We have some good news. End of the year, we love to bless other people. Often some of our folk will say, I've got some extra money, got a bonus. I want to do some good somewhere. And some of our global partners in Africa need some help in the sense, uh, we have some church planning coordinators, not just church planners, but coordinators that may be over 50 to 65 church planners. Uh, They have transportation needs. And these uh, leaders may be over six to eight training centers, and there's a lot of distance. And we can raise money and help them with a motorbike that'll help them get there back and forth for like $1,700 a piece. Our goal is 20 to raise that much during this month and early January. And right now we're at 13 and a half, and we don't want to send half a motorbike. That'd be really hot to sit on, I would think. So that's how much money we've raised: 22,000. And we love Israel and the people in that region. And we're partnering with Joel Rosenberg, who was here two years ago, with a ministry called the Joshua Fund. And so I know a month ago, they had put $500,000 into that region. And so we want to raise twenty-five dollars to help. And so they're partnering with mission groups and churches in Israel, Gaza, Jordan, and that area. And they'll help Israelis, Palestinians, and Christians. Because a lot of these people had to run, and their life is upside down. So we want to bless them and help them. If you want to give to the motorcycle fund, just write the check and write motorcycle on the bottom. Or if you want to give to help Israel, write Joshua Fund on there. Does that make sense? So we'll see what the Lord does. Now, this this time of year, I just want to make it clear, uh, Christmas is not just today, it is a plan, everyone say plan, and it's a long-ranging plan, and it's been going for a long time. Now, open your Bibles to Galatians, and let's see a passage that maybe you would necessarily think would be something we would read at this time of year, so you got your Bibles, hold them up, got your Bibles, let's see them great. We've got some in the lobby if you need some. Verse 4, but when the fullness of time, say fullness of time, came, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem, everyone say redeem, those who are under the law, that's twice, That we might receive adoption. Everyone say adoption. As sons and daughters. Because you are sons and daughters. God has sent forth the spirit of his son. Into our heart. And there's an eternal cry that says. Abba father. Say that with me please. Abba father. One more time. Abba father. Verse 7. Therefore. Therefore. Because of this adoption, because of sonship, we're no longer to live as slaves, but as sons and daughters. And if we are sons, then we are heirs. Everyone say the word heirs. Heirs. Through God. Now, let's talk about this issue of the fullness of time. That phrase is very important. At the fullness of time, God sent his son. Now, if you, if you don't enjoy history, if you don't see history, if you don't understand history, you need to learn to see history. You need to learn to see how things fit. If you can't see how things fit, it's kind of hard to understand today. I want to say this. Jesus, our Jesus, he owns history. Say amen. He owns history. He invades and inserts himself in history. And even if wicked men think they control history, uh, they have another thing coming. They don't. They're just pawns of history. Because Jesus is the center of history, history is actually his story. Everyone say that with please. It is his story. So that sets kind of the table for what we're going to study today. I want to talk about the word Messiah. Everyone say Messiah. The Hebrew word for Messiah literally means the anointed one. If you've seen the TV series, The Chosen, it means the chosen one. The oil is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. The oil is a symbol of consecration. We want more oil, more consecration more anointing, more of his power for his glory. So when kings were consecrated or coronated, and when priests, especially the high priest, were consecrated, holy oil was placed upon their head. And here we see a picture of a teenage David. I don't know if he's 14, 15, or 16, and he's being anointed with oil as the eighth son of Jesse in Bethlehem. What a day. What a day that changed his life. So that's Hebrew for Messiah, the anointed one. The Greek word for Messiah is the word Christos. Everyone say Christos. That's where we get the word Christ. So when people say Jesus Christ, Jesus is his name or Yeshua, and Christ is his title, Messiah. Yeshua, Messiah. The name Jesus in Hebrew, Yeshua. There's a whole book called Joshua that would have been pronounced Yeshua. Means rescuer, it means the deliverer, it means the savior. So we. The name of this church is the Church of the Rescuer, the Church of the Redeemer, the Church of the Deliverer. Now, when Mary became pregnant by the Holy Spirit, she was engaged to be married to Joseph. And Joseph quietly was going to put her away in the marriage contract. But a super being appeared to him in a dream during the night. Say this with me, please. She will give birth to a son... You're to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. So his wonderful name, Jesus, means the Lord is salvation. That's what it means. And forever, that's what his name will mean. The name above all names. Now the Lord Jesus is the Messiah for Israel, but he's also our Messiah, and he is our expected king. He is coming. We got one day closer today, and he is our deliverer. Someone say praise the Lord. That is our Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now I just want to take you through a short history span that takes us up to what we celebrate this week. The preparation for the coming of the Messiah, there's all these beautiful pictures in the entire Old Testament. What are the purposes that God would have to give us multiple pictures over and over? Why would he give us the same picture in a different way, in a different story. Why would he do that? To make sure we get it. So the Lord Jesus is on every page. You have to look for him. He's the theme of every story. You have to look for him. And we start with the Garden of Eden, a real place, two real people who made a choice to disobey the Creator And they paid for it, and we paid for it. So they suffered the penalty, but in the penalty was also a provision. The one that seduced him, the serpent, Satan, inhabiting this creature, the prophecy was given to him that the seed of the woman, notice a picture of the virgin birth because women don't have seeds. The seed of the woman will bruise your head, wicked one, which is a mortal wound, but you will bruise his heel, which talks about the crucifixion. Then to cover their nakedness, the first animals died in the garden where God made garments out of skins, probably the skin of a lamb. And Revelation gives us a clue so you have the first book and you have the last book. And Revelation, heaven talks about the lamb, Jesus, that was slain before the world was even created. Because God wouldn't take it by surprise. It was his plan all along for recovery. Then we see Noah. A real man, real time period, was given a mission To build a large ship. Did he really build it? Absolutely he built it. Is it possible? Absolutely. Go to the ark encounter and take a look at that. He was told to build an ark. The ark is also a picture of the Lord Jesus. He is the ark of safety. You come within, you are safe. Now, Quite a number of years ago, maybe seven or so, I happen to be in this country. Does anybody know where this is? This is Gatlinburg. (laughs) This is Armenia. And where the the mountain is, is Turkey. The Turks took about two-thirds of Armenia, killed about a third of their population within about three weeks to a month. Hitler saw that. And said, if the world won't stand up to them, then I will do whatever I want to do. And so I'm in Armenia. It's a Sunday morning. I'm supposed to speak to a a church of about 200 Armenians. Beautiful people, olive skin, all black hair, brown eyes. And I'm on the way, and my Armenian pastor driver picks me up. We're driving rapidly through the capital city, Yerevan, and I see this. And I go Kentucky crazy. It is Mount Ararat, and we're, we're driving through this capital city. I'm grabbing for my cell phone, trying to get a picture out of the windshield of Mount Ararat. I said, "Slow down!" And the pastor said, "We cannot. We have to. We're late. We have to get to the church on time." And so I went. No picture. Uh, uh, And then he made it worse. But Steve, it's only this clear about three days a year. We drive another half hour. We get to this church. It's an old Russian commissary, which means it's a grocery store. We're up on the second level. They have these plate glass windows in their back, back of the room. And I'm supposed to be speaking, and halfway through, I just can't control myself anymore. And I do this, and they... Armenians don't know what that means. I go, stop, 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 stop. I need to tell you guys something. I, am a, I realize today I'm a full-blood Armenian. And they looked at me like, no, you're a crazy white boy. That's what you are. And I said, no. My Bible, and I can't help, I'm looking at this. My Bible tells me that the ship... That that old man and his three sons built, landed on the sides of this mountain, and they and their families came down into this valley, and they raised their families there. And my Bible tells me that I and all of us came from one of those three men. So I said, "I'm home." So welcome me. I still don't think they understood. I can't, could never forget that. Then God chose a man named Abraham. Everyone's Abraham. Why did God choose Abraham? Couldn't have children. Five years, 10 years, but the Lord gave him a promise. 15 years, no child. 20 years, no child. 25 years, no child. Sarah said, what are we going to do? I thought your God promised. He promised. I know it'll happen. Finally, the child came. The one, the descendants would be like the sands of the seashore. The one, like the stars, it could not count. And then one day when the boy was, I don't know, six or seven or eight or ten, take him to three-day journey to the mountains of Moriah, which is Jerusalem today, and there sacrifice him. And Abraham took him. Abraham built an altar. Abraham gathered the wood. Abraham started the fire. And Abraham raised his knife. And an angel intervened and said, do not kill the boy. Now I know you love me more than him. So there was a special people that came out of that one man, that has a special mission. The mission was to take the gospel to all the earth. And when you think about that picture, you re- and you see Jesus is in every story, Jesus in this story is also the son on the altar that the father offered up his only son. Jesus is also the ram whose horns were caught in the thicket, the provision for our sin and the sacrifice for us. And I want to say, all of us in this room, you have a special mission too. You have a mission in life, or you would not be alive. From 1 Peter 2, would everybody read this with me, please? But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into the marvelous light. You're special you're gifted, you're called, you have purpose. Then Jacob, the grandson, had 12 sons and one daughter. And the 11th son was named what? Named Joseph. And he was sent on a mission trip. He went on a YWAM expedition and went away to college against his will because Joseph had a prophetic gift. Joseph would have dreams and visions, and some of these dreams would be like, hey, mom, dad, brothers, big brothers, guess what? I had a dream last night, and there were 12 stars. And 11 of the stars bowed down to the other star, which is my star. And then mom, you're the moon, and dad, you're the sun, and guess what you guys bowed down too. Isn't that a great story? They sent him away on vacation forever. Now, I'm going to give you dates. Do you know why I'm going to give you dates? And They're pretty close. It's hard to date ancient history, but I want you to know these are true stories, not myths and fables. Joseph saved the nation of Egypt, saved the nation of Israel, and became the one who was the preserved life. He, in a picture, he, Jesus is our Joseph. Now, just as God's fingerprints were working in Joseph's life, behind the scenes, even in adversity, difficulty, hardship, broken hearts, God is still working in our lives. You have to watch for where he's working. Watch for his fingerprints. Jesus said this, my father is always at work. You'll never be in a situation, no matter how difficult, where he's not at work. He's wanting to partner with you. And Jesus said, I join him in his work. Watch for what he's doing. Then E, God called a deliverer, a man by the name of Moses, also against his will. He was age 80 when he heard the call of God to free God's people from Egypt. This is about 1446 B.C. And just like Moses, Jesus is our way maker. He is our deliverer. Now, the people of, of Israel were delivered in two ways. physically, They were delivered on Passover. Everyone say Passover. Do you know what Passover is? God told Moses to tell all the people of Israel in the land of Goshen, there will be a night in about a week where the death angel will appear and he will come across all Egypt and the firstborn of every family will die in one night. All the way from Pharaoh... To the lowliest slave, the firstborn will die. But to save your family, here's what you do. Take a one-year-old perfect lamb, a male lamb. Bring him into the house. Let the family love him. Let the family adjust to him. Then after five days, there'll be a special night. You'll know when. Take the life of the lamb. Gather his blood in a basin. Take an... Herb, hyssop. Put it in the blood. Put it over the door post. Over the top. Because when the death angel comes, he will do what? He will pass over your house. And you will have salvation. So they left the next morning. They left Egypt. But God knew they still had a problem. They had left Egypt But Egypt was still in them. So Moses was told, gave them the book of Leviticus. Now, I don't know if the book of Leviticus is anybody's favorite book in here. When I was in high school on the football team, I have no idea, but the head coach, practice was over. He was walking around. He said the oddest thing. He said, You know, I haven't read the Bible in three weeks. I didn't know he was a Christian. And I went, What does that have to do with anything? But I got thinking, read the Bible? I've never read the Bible. My family doesn't read the Bible. Maybe I should read the Bible. So I found a Bible, a King James Version. And I read Genesis, and I loved it. I read Exodus. It was exciting. I got to Leviticus, and I died. <laughs> I thought, I have no idea what this is talking about. And so I closed it and decided... It was not for me. Today, I love Leviticus as much as the book of John. Now, the purpose of Leviticus was to get Egypt out of God's people. Here's a verse. I want you to read this, please. For you shall be holy, for I, the Lord, your God, am holy. Holiness in heart, holiness in speech, holiness in the way we live. And so God gave them standards so they would have success. Point F. God commissioned a conqueror. Moses died. His understudy became leader Joshua. Joshua was to take them into the promised land. They came right through. They crossed the Jordan. They came and they defeated uh, Jericho. And then the armies of all twelve tribes went south in a campaign. And they came back and went north in the campaign, and they took the land. Joshua is our type of the conquering Christ. And his commission was twofold. One is take the land. everyone's in take the land. And the other one is to preserve my message. Now, this is very important. When you look at what's going on in the world today, if you've been to Israel Uh, Whenever God has a plan, Satan, the deceiver, the devil, the old dragon, always tries to ruin God's plan, always. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And so in the midst of the promised land, there are a lot of folks there that the Lord says if they don't leave, they're going to take the message from my people and you're going to lose your families. If you look at the map on the right, you see how much bigger the land of Israel that God gave Abraham and his descendants. It goes all the way from the Nile all the way to the Euphrates way up in the north. The message is very important. Had they not kept the message, we wouldn't be here Today. Then Joshua dies. Then we have a rough period in Israel's history. Their history is always rough. The period of the judges. How long did it last? Somebody tell me. 325 years. Up and down and up and down and up and down. And they have 12 judges. How many judges? 12 judges. And it's over seven painful cycles, not the motorcycles we're giving the church planters, really bad cycles. Well, what are the cycles? Are you ready? How many have read the book of Judges? You read it? Okay, if you don't see the cycles, you don't understand it. So the people are in sin. They walked away from God, chasing idols, doing horrible things, ruining their lives, which puts them into bondage. You walk away from God? you always walk into bondage. Is that true or false? True. So after 40 years of bondage, 40 years of pain, 40 years of pressure, 40 years of being ruled by a wicked, oppressive, foreign country, the people say, oh, we remember our daddies and mamas used to pray. Maybe we should pray. So they start crying out to God, Lord, would you please help us? Lord, would you please give us mercy? Would you send a deliverer? So God sent a deliverer. Like I said, there's 12. One of them is the strong woman, Deborah. Who becomes the most significant person in all Israel. She frees the land for about 40 years. Then we see Samson frees the land for about 20 years. So you have sin. So if you follow my head, you see this cycle. Sin, bondage, people cry out for mercy and repentance, God raises up a deliverer, freedom, I wish it ended there. The next generation doesn't get it. They fall right back into the same trap. So you see this over and over and over and over again. The saddest part of the whole book fits our country to a T and it's a commentary on the whole 325 years. And it's the last verse. He said this was the time everybody did what was right in their own eyes. They made up their own God, made up their own rules, and it brought hardship. This is why We all need a Savior because we cannot save ourselves. Someone say, yes, Lord. That's us. So then we see three kings. We see Saul. We see David. We see Solomon. David is going to build a temple in Jerusalem. He gets everything ready, and Nathan the prophet comes and gives him a prophetic word. The father says, no, no. You can't do it. You're a man of war. You got a lot of blood on your hands. Can't do it. And so, David is brokenhearted, but Nathan gives him an encouraging word. Are you ready for it? To David, I make you a promise you will have a descendant on the throne of Israel forever. Who is that? That's the Messiah out of David's lineage. Then we see Solomon. Solomon had a problem. He drifted. Have you ever drifted? I've drifted. I try to drift and come back quick. I don't want to drift long. Stay away. We drift a half inch and a quarter inch and a full inch. And before you know it, three feet. And before you know it, we're on the ditch. Before you know it, we've lost our way. For 20 years, the wisest man who ever lived loved God. Second 20 years, he drifted and strayed from the Lord. And God said to him, because of David, I'm not going to do this in your lifetime, but in your son's lifetime, I will split the country. It will be called the divided kingdom. There will be a civil war and there will be Ten tribes or clans in the north, and what are they called? Somebody tell me. What are they called? What are they called? Israel. And I will leave two tribes in the south to your descendants, and what are they called? Judah. That's where we get the word, the, the Jews, from Judah. So the northern kingdom, they had 21 wicked kings. Not a good one at all. And the nation just did this. Boom, 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 boom. Finally, God said, I've held my nose long enough. And he allowed the Assyrian Empire, some of the most bloodthirsty people that ever lived, they came in there and they either killed everyone or they carried the others off into into slavery. And they were scattered across the Assyrian Empire. This is in history 722 B.C., all the time, God sent prophets. Come back, come back, come back, and they never did. The southern kingdom, did they do better? They did some better. They had seven godly kings out of 21, but eventually, 130 years later, they too fell. Matter of fact, they got more wicked than Israel. And the Lord allowed the Babylonians to invade Judah three times. And the last time Nebuchadnezzar said, you know, I'm just done fooling with you guys. And he burned Jerusalem to the ground and the temple, and it was absolutely horrible. Did you know war is pretty horrible? Did you know that? And I look at this timeline, and it makes me wonder. I wonder what America's timeline is. We probably have been more wicked than Judah or Israel. So the Jews in the south that are taken to Babylon, Persia then conquers Babylon, and they are in exile 70 years. And there is a mighty king, one of the greatest kings ever, Cyrus the Great. Everyone say Cyrus the Great. He did not have a mediocre day, not one time. He was great all the time. He let the Jews go home in 532, 538. He not only let them go home, he helped them get there. He gave them money to rebuild the temple. This is Cyrus the Great's tomb in Iran or Persia. Now this is crazy. Are you ready? If you believe the scripture is always true, archaeology always proves the scripture, Cyrus the Great is mentioned in four books of the Old Testament 23 times. In Isaiah 45, Cyrus is called by the Creator, you are my anointed one to do my work, to help my people go home. Now, here's the crazy part. Are you ready? So he's mentioned 23 times in four books, but 150 years before he's born. That is called a plan. Nehemiah was called to rebuild. The Jerusalem walls. He was cut bare to the king of Persia. He's allowed to go. This is the biggest mess ever. If any of you ever went to where the rubble of the World Trade Center was, could you imagine clearing the debris without modern day equipment? And that's what these guys faced. It sat ruined for 140 years. And the Lord gave them grace. In 52 days, they got the wall and the gates back up. You say, well, why is that important, Steve? Are you ready? No Jerusalem, no Messiah. No Jerusalem, no resurrection. I hope you will appreciate the scriptures I hope you appreciate the plan of God for Christmas more today. And actually, 10 year, 12 years earlier, God sent a, a priest and a scribe by the name of Ezra, who came back, and he said, Our nation has been ruined because of rebellion toward God. Our people don't know the scriptures. They don't know what God requires and wants and desires. So he got them on a Bible reading program In 458 BC, our nation needs to know what God thinks about things. Now, our Savior was a builder. Joseph, his adopted father, was a carpenter and stonemason. Jesus grew up doing manual labor with his hands. Because he was a builder, we should be builders. We should build friendships. We should build relationships. We should build families. We should build churches. We should build ministries. We should build godly businesses. He's a builder. We should be builders. This is the most important thing I will say. If you've you've never read the scriptures much, which was me, If you don't understand the scriptures, you're never going to understand life. You just won't. And you won't have the strength and courage to do life when hard things come. Next, point L. God allows a guy by the name of Alexander the Great to conquer much of the known world and bring in something called Hellenism, which meant Greek culture. A lot of bad some good. Well, what was a good? Alexander made Greek the common language where there had never been a common language. Well, why is that important? This is an artist rendition of what Alexander the Great looked like. He was dead, a broken man, at age thirty-two. This is what's important. Do you see it? This is his empire. This is the reason your New Testament was written in Greek, the most precise language the world has ever seen. In 255, Christians said, This is a Greek world. These people don't know God we need to translate the Hebrew Old Testament into Greek so people can read it. That's called the what? What is that called? Important word. What's that called? The Septuagint. Alexander died. The Romans became the big boys on the block. Long time. 200 years, roughly, there was such stability across the huge Roman Empire that there was a Latin saying called Pax Romana, which means Rome brings peace. Look at this. Looks well, like spider webs to me, Steve. What is this? The Roman highway or road system 50,000 miles of excellent road they built for the military, they built for commerce, but the God of heaven wanted it for something else. Look at that road. It's 2,000 years old. Maybe our engineers and highway department in Kentucky could learn a few things. We could turn Brandon Road over to them and just say, would you make us a new road? The creator wanted the Roman road system so the gospel in one generation could saturate the Roman Empire. And millions of people would find Jesus. Someone say amen. Amen. Who is this guy? Caesar Augustus, who is in the Christmas story. He declared that all across the empire, there would be a census, and it was tradition to do this every 14 years. You do it for two reasons. One, for military service. Initially, the Jews were exempt. But the other reason is taxes. What goes around comes around. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued that a decree should go out where a census would be taken over the entire Roman world. Now look at this. It was that single decree that forced a, probably a 19-year-old man and a 16-year-old woman, Joseph and Mary, to leave their hometown. See their hometown of Nazareth on the map? So they would come down. They just didn't go straight toward Bethlehem. There was a lot of racial tension, and Samaritans and Jews didn't like each other, so they would go around, cross the Jordan, come back. It's probably 90 miles. Who knows how long it took them to walk? This is the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. He was governor twice. Can anybody guess who the bust is? That is Quirinius. He was governor twice. Roman governor of Syria. When did this happen, Steve? My guess is somewhere around 8 BC. Now, before Christ, the dates went downward. After Christ, the dates went upward. Upward. 8 B.C., they have on record a census being ordered through Quirinius. It could have taken two years to get to Israel. Somewhere between 8 B.C., 4 B.C., there was a prophecy, very important. Are you paying attention? But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah. There's two Bethlehems, one in the north and the south. This identifies the one in the south. Though you are small among the clans of Judah, it identifies the clan or the tribe. For out of you one will come who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins cannot be counted from ancient times. This was 700 years before the birth of Christ. I'm having a pool put in next year. This is artist rendering. Does anybody know where this is? This is the rendering of Herod's palace, Herod the Great, who died in 4 BC. This is the Rhodian Palace. It's halfway between Bethlehem and Jerusalem because his people hated him. He said, I need a fortress right outside of Jerusalem in case the people want to hang me, kill me crucify me, I can quickly run and hide and get in a fortress and they can't get to me. So that's what he built. Since Herod died, we know that in 4 B.C. That means Christ had to be born. Herod was alive and Christ was born. In 5 B.C., maybe 4 B.C. Last May, we got some of us got to go there. That's the ruins of it now. About halfway up that hill, I thought I was going to roll over and they needed a place to stick me in the dirt. One of the guys on the trip did have a heat stroke cuz it was May and it was hot. But they found Herod's cat, uh, sarcophagus about 10 years ago halfway up this hill in the dirt. No bones are there. Somebody probably took him out and scattered him. All to bring us to this. The arrival, the birth of the promised one. Okay, Steve, where do I fit in? Great story. I believe it. It's true. But what what does that have to do with me? Well, this is God's plan that we see in Galatians chapter 4. And it's all about you. The Christmas story is about him, but the Christmas story is also about you and me. Well, how so? Five words. Paul wrote... He said this, God sent his son born of a woman under the law to redeem those under the law. Well, I don't even know what redeem means. It means to recover what was lost. See, I was once lost. You were lost. And the birth of this child meant you could be recovered. Have you been recovered? Say amen. Hold, you, you've been recovered. You've been redeemed. Are you grateful? Now we get to be a part of that wonderful plan of redemption. Well, what does it mean being born under the law? In brief, it means this. It's not just the Ten Commandments. It's all the law of the Old Testament where God says, this is my standard. This is what I want. This is what gives you success all the time. That is called the law. The law is good. But I have a problem with the law. I never keep it perfectly. The Ten Commandments, I've broken either by action or word or thought. And Paul wrote in Galatians that the law is my tutor. It's like my assistant high school teacher that comes along and says, you missed this answer. You got a C minus. Let me help you get where you need to go. It points out my frailties because I cannot keep the standard. But my tutor gives me another option. The option is adoption. Everyone say adoption. So I can either perform to get God's approval or I can just say I can't do it. How about adopting me? That's the better option. So he wants to adopt us, you. The devil was my father. God wants to be my heavenly father that comes through a spiritual adoption. It means he chose us. Adoption is one of the most beautiful words in all the languages. It means God in his mercy took you out of one place and put you with another family. Esther, Daniel, Joseph, Moses. Because God has a plan, and it's a plan for good. Because every person is wanted, you'll never meet anyone that God doesn't love and doesn't care about. Because he wants the closest of relationships, and the word Abba means daddy or papa, Jesus cried out on the cross saying, Abba, Father. I got two grandkids that assaulted me about 30 minutes ago. It's awesome. And when they assault me, they jump on me, they hug me, uh, they cry out, Papa, 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 and it melts my heart. And sometimes when I'm praying and driving and I feel the Lord's presence so strong, I would just say, Papa, you are such a good God to me. And I love being with you. And there's a little clue in here that says, God, since we've been adopted, there's a little honing device inside of our hearts that cries out. We feel the need to be close to our Abba Father. Because we've all been fatherless boys and fatherless girls. No matter what good family you came from, we need somebody who's perfect. Then he wants to put an end to slavery. Worship team, would you guys come up so we can enjoy sonship? I love this phrase. No longer bound, no longer in chains, no longer a slave. But now your daughters, now your sons of the Most High God and the last thing, maybe the best thing, maybe you should think about this in the all this week that he wants to us to be his heir. What does it mean to be the father's heir? That you have all the rights, you have all the privileges. And yes, you do have all the responsibilities of being a child of the Most High God. It's a great honor that we should take for granted. We're going to take the Lord's table today on this most wonderful day. I hope you got the elements when you came in. It's not a religious act. It's always an invitation to say that you're in. Not halfway, but you're fully in. You're grateful to be a son or daughter of the Most High God. You're grateful for being redeemed. You're grateful for the blood that cleansed you. And you want to live your life out of gratitude. If you're not quite where you should be with the Lord, why don't you just tell him today you're going to take a step closer. Just a step. Just take a step closer. Because he'll meet you right where you are. If you'll open up one end and put the bread in one hand. Lord, I thank you through your broken body, you bring healing for us. And today, Lord, we offer ourselves out of gratitude to be a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to you. We say again, Lord, we are in, and we are grateful, and we are committed. Take any. easy. you would open the other end and Lord we celebrate the Christmas child becoming a man and dying as a man as our sacrifice we're grateful for the cleansing of our sins take and drink as our worship team leads us in final worship altar is open there's people here that will pray with you respond to him
1: We can respond. Sorry, would you stand with us? Let's thank Jesus in this place for his redemption plan. joyful and trying Join with heaven, sing it out. Sing, sing. So e
0: want to give people the chance to be redeemed, forgiven to become a child of the most high God so as we close in prayer if that's your heart maybe you're watching online or you're here in the room you can just pray with me and say Lord Jesus adopt me into your family make me your son your daughter Be my Savior and Lord. Forgive me of all my sins and wash me clean. And give me a home in heaven. Because today I give you my life. In Jesus' name. Everyone said amen. Merry Christmas to you. If you need prayer or ministry, there's people here that will pray with you. Slip out quietly. Pick up your children. Have a great day. God bless you.
2: Thank you for joining us online at Church of the Savior today. We hope you were encouraged to grow in your walk with Jesus. If you made a decision to follow Jesus for the first time today, please reach out to us. We would love to help you take your next step. Please visit our website for more information on upcoming events and how you can connect with the COS family. There is also a prayer request form where you can let us know how we can pray for you. Thanks again for tuning in. Hope to see you next week.